The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. City's huge call on the markets today. The firm taking U.S. stocks and tech back to overweight. Are they right? Does it signal that now is, in fact, the time to buy again? We'll discuss and debate that with the Investment Committee. Joining me for the hour today, Jenny Harrington, Steve Weiss, Josh Brown, Pete Najarian, the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. Let's go to the wall and take a look at the markets. 12 noon in the east. There's your picture. Uh, a different picture from how we started today. There's the Dow, 33,776. The high on the Dow today was 34,179. So you've seen we've given a good amount back uh, and then some there. There's the NASDAQ. 13,609. S&P 4,400, proving to be pretty good resistance for the S&P. That was around last week's high. We were a little bit above that today, 4,416. We're now at 4,370. So you can see the pullback that has taken place as the day has progressed. And of course, the focus on yields, the 10-year note yield, 183. Steve Leisman was just talking about the 210 spread. So people are watching the bond complex very closely as well today. I do begin, though, with this big call. Josh Brown from Citi. We raise U.S. equities and global IT back to overweight. Both are growth trades, they say, that should benefit in relative terms, at least, from the recent sharp drop in real yields. And that's where I want to begin the conversation. They're essentially calling a bottom. You can buy U.S. stocks. You can buy U.S. tech. Let's talk stocks broadly first. Is this call right? Well, I I suppose we'll see. But it occurs to me that... (laughs) We had like this uh, this this uh, bandwagon of strategists, Wall Street economists. Every day we would get new inflation data and they were like jumping over each other to go, I think it'll be four rate hikes. No, it's going to be five. No, actually it's going to be eight. Maybe they'll do 12. Maybe they'll do one intra-meeting every meeting. And it just got so carried away and absurd. And my commentary was, yeah, we'll see what happens. We'll see what they can get away with doing. Because remember, I do not think... The Fed has the appetite right now uh, to work so hard getting gasoline prices back to three dollars at the pump that they're willing to invert the yield curve deliberately. So I don't think they can do as many rate hikes as people thought that they could. That realization is now dawning on the rest of the market. Unfortunately, it took a geopolitical event and obviously much worse inflation uh, in some areas of the market that are geopolitics related. But. I think expectations for what Powell can actually do um, now are more reasonable. And if that's the case, then what Citi is saying might make sense. Some of these longer duration type trades will come back into fashion if you think about, oh, wait a minute, the cost of capital is going to stay low. Um, The the desire for uh, return, uh, you know, the the desire for, uh, 
you know, these kinds of near-term earnings might not be as strong as it had been, and maybe we'll go back to thinking about, okay, this is a longer-term story. So, like, that's, that's the kind of sentiment shift or mentality shift in the market that I think is really difficult to play right over and over and over again. Like, oh, wait, this month, now they're going to want growth again. And then next month, now they're going to want value again. I really don't do that stuff. So they could be right, but I would just say it's not going to change anything about the way I'm thinking about the market or allocating money. I understand. But Steve Weiss, I mean, this is, as I say, essentially calling a bottom, that it is okay to buy stocks right now in the United States. They say we still want to buy the dips and highlight that global equities have ended 10 to 20 percent higher after previous geopolitical crises. They point out the robustness of markets as well that the main stocks that have been down the most since the Ukraine issue came to the forefront were those stocks with direct exposure to the financials, which we know those stocks have not done well, and then those with direct Russia impact. So is this call right? I mean, do you feel comfortable today buying the dip, buying any dip, and then we'll get to tech later? Right. So I, I give uh, actually City uh, more, more credence in their view than I do the others who have been saying buy every dip all the way down as NASDAQ stocks have corrected 50%. Uh, they went back to overweight. You can't pick bottoms. You can't pick tops. So it's probably a reasonable point of entry. However, I've got flexibility to, to take it a little lower before I start buying stocks. I just don't think we're there yet. You're still at a premium to the 10-year forward multiple on the S&P, and it's got to correct because of everything that's going on. And the Fed, uh, to Josh's point, uh, I thought the Fed was in a tough position before because of inflation and the fact that a few rate hikes weren't going to take it down. They're in an even tougher point right now because inflation is accelerated given oil prices. And as I look at the research uh, daily rundowns I get from firms across the street, I still see many, many more lowering of estimates this year and next year than I see increases. And I'm talking about the decreases in estimates versus the increases that we saw over the last year with earnings up 30% are just overshadowing that. So we're in a period where multiples have to contract. I do not think that we're there yet in the contraction. So I'm waiting. I just think it's very tough. I still look at Ford, for example. I want to buy Ford, but I'm looking at the multiple it's trading at and guess what? It's still a very capital-intensive business and still too high. All right. Well, so then, I'm then, buy then the natural question is, what's the number? I mean, if you're waiting for the multiple to contract enough right. for you to think that stocks are then attractive enough, what's right. the number? What, what should people look out for? So, so I, I, in a perfect world, I'd like to see the P.E. on the market trade down to about 14 times, 13 times, because I, be, I believe it'll overshoot. However, I'm not going to wait for that. It's as much a function of the number as it is events. And I really need to see inflation come down a little bit. So for all the, the bulls talking about, and we heard Jim say it yesterday, you know, I have tremendous respect for Jim, that, uh, hey, the market knows all this. Well, the market also knows that the war in Ukraine and Russia is going to end at some point. What the market doesn't know is how consumers and companies are going to respond to these massive input increases and I think that is yet to come. So that's why I'm being patient. Okay, so so you, it's not just a number, Scott. It's a Ben's I understand. You, you referenced Jim Labenthal in this call that he made yesterday. Remember, we had Tom Lee on yesterday, too. And you'll hear from him in just a second, at least what he said yesterday. But now, since you teed it up, I want to hear from Jim Labenthal right now. What he told us yesterday. Why he seems to be growing 
more bullish almost by the day and why it's going to continue for the next couple of weeks. Here he is. I do feel confident that that uh, conflict will become clearer, the outcome one way or the other, over the next two weeks. And that sets the stage for the economic strength, particularly in the U.S., to shine through. Accordingly, I have been adding to stocks over the last two weeks. You know I raised cash earlier in the year. I've cut that cash level down in half to about 5% by buying cyclical and reopenings, whether it's the financials this week or Win and Paramount last week when you were out sick. Uh, I think you've got two more weeks to use your dry powder. And you know what? You know what, Scott? It's time to dust off the all-in moniker because in two weeks I'm going to be wearing it again. That's a big statement, Jenny. Big and bold from the big farmer who said he's about to bring back Mr. All-In. And in the context of where we are, it's a big call. So City is bullish. Farmer Jim's getting more bullish. The desk isn't really all that bullish. I've never heard the big farmer before. What, what about you? I'm not all that bullish. So first on the City report, I kind of disagree with the thesis behind it. It really has two main prongs. One is this real interest rates. Real interest rates right now are, sorry, real rates are based on a combination of the nominal interest rate and inflation expectations. Inflation expectations are so completely all over the map and hard to predict that I think it's really tricky and treacherous to base an entire view on real rates. We don't know what they really are, and, we th- and I think that what we have right now is very much a point in time. The other point of their note is to say that you buy in a geopolitical conflict. Well, guess what? The backdrop to the geopolitical conflict that we're in right now is very, very different than in 2014 with Crimea and 2003 with Iraq. Right now, we have basically 0% interest rates and a rising rate environment ahead of us. That's really different. Also, to Steve's point, valuations are still quite stretched compared to those past conflicts. So I am not um, anxious. Now, I'm going to hedge my bets with a little caveat, which is, on the long term, I am always bullish on equities and, and specifically U.S. equities. So long term, I'm always bullish. But if you have a pile of cash right now, there is no need to feel like you need to get that to work right now. Don't have your like FOMO just because you might have missed out on the big returns of the past couple of years. This year is going to be treacherous. We have a lot of dirty, hard things ahead of us. We have mismatched valuations that are contracting, as Steve pointed out. We have asynchronous corrections happening. We have massive tightening coming our way. And this is going to make a tricky year. So I think you're going to have a lot of time and a lot of opportunities to get in during the year. One other thing on this note, with respect to the whole part on technology and buy tech now, like, no, do not buy tech. Yeah, we haven't Just gotten there yet. Just don't buy anything broadly. Everything. Oh, sorry. I'll yeah, go back. We, we, we haven't gotten there yet. <laughs> we will get there, but that's why I said I wanted I to so start excited. here. It's all right. I know. Once you get started, Jenny, I believe me. We're all I'm like out. an engine. <laughs> we'll get there in a second. It's, it's true. It's true. Uh, we'll get back to that, I promise. Uh, you know what? I'll even give you the first comment when we do, since you're all ready to go. Uh, Pete. You told our producers that you thought the city note today was one big nothing burger. Calling yeah. a bottoms a nothing burger? I mean, they look at the turmoil well, in the market, they look at the volatility, and then they make a big call. How's that a nothing burger? I mean, at some point, if you're a longer-term investor, big- you have to look at the environment and you have to make a decision. Have stocks come down enough? Did they bottom on the 24th? They suggest, I think, by making this call in and of itself, that stocks did bottom on the 24th. So that doesn't sound right. to me like so a nothing burger. If, that sounds to me like a Big Mac burger. 
If they're right, Scott, then it's a big call. If they're wrong, they're just in the line with the rest who have all said that this is the absolute bottom and you need to buy it. So, uh, you know, it will play out. I think it's still a great trading environment. Investing environment makes it a lot more difficult. You could talk to any of the panelists. It is really difficult, Scott, because where where are you really going? Okay, you're going to stay in the U.S. That's great. Make it a little bit narrower for me. All right, well, I guess you should go maybe towards financials. Okay, which ones? I mean... I think that there's a lot of different stocks out there that are great tradable stocks. We talk about velocity all the time. The velocity of the 10-year right now is absolutely extraordinary. And then you look over at what's going on with volatility. We haven't bottomed out in volatility by any stretch. We were just at 33 yesterday, 35 the day before. So, I, you know, I, I still think we are in enough of a, a volatile environment And the volumes are all there, too. So the three V's are all picture perfect for what we're looking for to trade in this market. Now, to invest in this market, I think it makes it really, really difficult. There are some great names out there, but that doesn't mean that they're they're great right now. There might be a little bit more room. Steve talked about contraction being something that, you know, it could go a little bit lower. I totally agree with that. And I continue to look around for good opportunities. I'll give you one financial that I've been staring at. Um, like crazy right. is Morgan Stanley, and the and the reason I give that one to you, Scott, is as far as like on the list. I haven't done anything there yet, but when I look at it, we always talk about these things priced upon. Uh, you know, the, the we price them different. We don't look at the PE. We we look at it in a different way. And because of that, I'm looking at right now the price to book. It's getting a little bit lower and a little bit closer all the time to one. Now, that, that's a great company that done a great job over the years, and they got in front of themselves. Stock was well over 100. It got up to whatever, 108 or 110 or whatever, and here it is in the 80s. I think that's one of those names that I'm looking at very, very closely if I were to be adding, thinking it's the bottom. I just don't think so. Economically or with the Ukraine, that's not over. That won't be over for a while, one would think. And then meanwhile, you've got Powell and the Fed, who I think have been incredibly transparent about how they want to move. Mm-hmm. So there is some feel for the markets. But I, you know, I think it's really, really difficult to say just because you're saying this is the bottom. Let, let's make sure that this is the bottom. If not, hey, it is a nothing. Burger. That's fine. I mean, that's why we're debating it in and of itself. Right. It's a call yeah. that got our attention. Yep. And I wanted to hear what the committee had to say about it. So as it relates directly to Morgan yeah. Stanley, Pete. Um, when does it become attractive enough for you to actually do something? Is it a seven handle? Is it a lower 80s price? You know, what's a, and that's a great question. And as you know, I look for a lot of different things when I'm looking at trades. And one of them are investments. And one of them is, first of all, love the company. Love the company when it got up to close to 100. And it looks a heck of a lot better now as it's sitting in the 80s. I'd love to see some of that, as you know, I look for. I'd love to see some option activity actually come into some of these names that have made these pretty dramatic pullbacks. I'd love to see what we did see in Bank of America we haven't seen yet in Morgan Stanley. So I'd like to see some of that buying come into Morgan Stanley. And rather than the calls, most likely I'm going to be in that stock and then starting to use this inflated volatility that we have if we still have it anywhere close to the 30s. I'll be selling a premium against it every single week if I can. Mm. So that's that's how I'm operating right now. But I'd like to see some of those calls come in, Scott. I'd love to see somebody buying 10,000, 20,000 calls to give me a little bit more assurance that, yeah, we're getting pretty daggone close to the low end for Morgan Stanley. You like to follow the money. I get it. I get it. So the other (laughs) point, Weiss, is that, and Jenny uses this word, treacherous. And I remember it was a, I don't know, a handful of weeks ago that Tom Lee said treacherous as well. You know, if you're a long-term investor, I thought you're supposed to buy stocks when it's treacherous. 
I mean, what are you going to wait till the water's all calm and then everybody's back in and then stocks have risen a lot and then it's going to be comfortable to buy? I thought the whole point was to look at opportunities when other people think there are few. And it's kind of why Tom Lee, who I just mentioned, told us this yesterday. Our base case from early December 2021 for this year was that the market would be at best flat, but a drawdown of as much as 10%. So that's been our expectation through June. But I think we see a lot of these headwinds become tailwinds as we get further into tightening, better clarity on inflation, and you know closer to the midterm cycle. And so uh, we still think you're going to exit the year with S&P 5100 or better. Uh, and that means, you know, a second half rally that's double digits. Buy with the headwind. You wait for the tailwind. What's wrong with that? Well, here's what's wrong, Scott. It's like saying, OK, short headlines. Uh, the, the NFC is going to win the Super Bowl. Uh, it's just one of those sayings. that's kind of trite where there's no definition where it's directional. So buy when there's blood in the streets. So, yeah, but there's not enough blood in the streets. Yesterday on this show, it's kind of unique on this session because everybody seems to be somewhat neutral to, I'd say, bearish. Yesterday's show, which I think is the dominant uh, you know, way that people are looking at it, everybody's bullish. All in Jim is going to be all in Jim again. He's been impatient and waiting for that to come on. So until the dialogue and until analysts and strategists stop finding ways to justify putting money in and that optimism starts to fade, then I don't think you buy. And I'd always rather miss the first 10% up then catch the next 10% or 20% down. So I don't mind missing the initial move up as long as I'm satisfied with what my discipline tells me in terms of what I look for in putting money to work. So that's the most important thing, abiding by my discipline. That's what Pete's doing. That's what Jenny's doing. That's what Josh is doing. So when that happens, that's when I'll buy, not because, you know, stocks are down, whatever, 20, 30%. Because I'll tell you that Snowflake, look at how that stock, you know, got hit. And I've been negative on that stock, not the fundamentals, but the stock for forever. And are people stepping in and buying today? You had everybody reiterating, not understanding that the multiple here can never be justified ever, period. End of story. So, so OK, so you 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 make me then want to segue to that conversation about technology right now. And the second part of this call from City, which upgrades global I.T. back to overweight the latest plunge, quote, in real yields does imply that this year's derating of growth stocks should stop. I find it hard to believe that they'd be making this call today if Powell didn't lay his cards on the table yesterday. I mean, if Powell says 50 basis points yesterday and then leads us to believe that another 50 basis points are coming after that, and maybe another 50 after that or, or what have you, you get my idea. They're not making this call today. Hmm. Powell says 25 yesterday. He says they got to be careful. they got to be cautious because of Ukraine. That's why they make this call today, Jenny, at least in part, I think. But is now the time to buy tech? Are they right? So, again, broadly, I think the answer is no. And this goes back to what Steve was saying in the previous conversation also about when do you buy. So if we look at tech broadly, Okta and Snowflake are totally different than Cisco and Palo Alto, for example. When you're buying right now, there are plenty of things out there to buy. And what I was saying before is I don't think you follow City and broadly plow into the U.S. market, nor do I think you broadly plow into tech. 
But what I said before is we are seeing asynchronous corrections, right? So there are big opportunities. I don't think if you have, let's say you've got $100,000 burning a hole in your pocket. You don't need to put the whole 100000 to work, but you can do what I did last week and see Foot Locker, for example, down 30%, do your research, say, hey, this one's corrected. This one's at the right price. This is the right time now, and you can buy that stock. So there's different things that you can buy, but I just don't think you do it broadly, and you need to recognize whatever sector you're looking at right now, financials, healthcare, tech, consumer staples, you don't buy the whole sector in this year. You have to pick and parse through which stocks are the right ones to buy. And that's where I think you have a lot of opportunity. I mean, I, as a portfolio manager, I love years like this because this is when opportunity is created. Okay. And, and I don't think it's all at once. One thing Weiss said, he said he would wait till the market gets to 13 to 14 times. I don't think we're going to get there broadly. I don't think we're going to have a huge, massive collapse. So I think you need to be careful and buy individual stocks. If you wait for 13 to 14 times, you might miss everything. So, Well, just to correct that, Scott, if I could, I didn't say, I said that's ideally where it would be. It would overshoot, but I didn't say oh, I'm waiting okay. to get there to put money in. Mm -hmm. No, under, understood, Steve, but okay. by, by merely throwing those numbers out of 13 to 14 times, you, you suggest that you think it might get there. I mean, you can't just throw yeah. numbers against the wall just for conversation's sake. I mean, it, that at least is in your mind. And that would be pretty dramatic pullback from where we are now. As much pain as we've endured, you ain't seen nothing yet. If you get to 13 to 14 times. Yeah, no, I, mean, I don't that's disagree. Where we got I think, Steve. Right. I, I think it's possible that we that we could get there because I do think I'm not saying that is appropriate value, but the market clearly overshot in the way up. We got to multiples that we just shouldn't have been at. And Snowflake is the, is the poster child for that. So doesn't it make sense with everything that's going on, with heightening uh, issues with China, Biden administration talking about even a tougher policy against their companies, you know, that's not going to end well with China, with what's going on in Russia, Ukraine, with what's going on in this country, with what's going on in inflation, with a, an ongoing rate tightening cycle. Doesn't it make sense that the possibility is that we can overshoot the downside? And by the way, if you go to the long, long term, uh, PE in the market, you're pretty much at 14 times. So, so that's why I say you can get there. It just can't be you overshooting the upside. It also is you overshoot the downside. Now, a lot of stocks have, have corrected 50%. So more. you just need some of the other. Or more. Right, or more. Right. And that may be the reason we don't get there, because the ones that haven't corrected are, are I believe, not to generalize, but a lot of those aren't going to correct to that level. That may get us only the 15 or 16 times. In other words, in other words, you, you'd have to you'd have to have such dislocation in names. And I know you're, you've got to be thinking about like the Apples of the world, the Microsofts, the things mm -hmm. that have not corrected 50, 60 and, and 70 percent. Now, if those stocks had a massive upset and puke, uh, then you'd be talking about some real serious upset within the, the, the market at large. Since you guys have mentioned Snowflake numerous times, let's show the stock today. It is plunging on slower revenue growth. It's not like it was a bad report. It's just when you're trading at one valuation and you report or project. That's the point. Yeah, well, right. Well, you project Judge, that your earnings. That's, Josh Brown. That's, that's the point. We're in, we're in an environment where a company. I from finishing my thought and toss it to you since that's where we're heading anyway. I'm sorry. I've been, re I've been really patient. I've been really quiet this I episode. I know. I know. Um, I know. Jenny, I mean, Jenny is just going. <laughs> Jenny is going. 
and a lot of Weiss, very heavy Weiss in the A yeah. block. I knew you Listen, were jealous. Yeah. We're in an environment. We're in an environment where a company could say they grew ninety, they grew revenue ninety percent, and it wasn't a hundred percent. So they whack thirty percent off the market cap. So to Weiss's point, we are going to overshoot, and the S and P is only down nine percent uh, from its peak. That's nothing. We've been down twenty percent for no reason. Direct your attention to the cover page, the homepage of the New York Times. They literally have footage of missiles dropping on people's houses. The number one country by landmass in Europe just invaded the number two country by landmass. If we're doing this in terms of population, it's number one invading number four. We have no idea how far this goes. What we do know is that the 11th largest economy in the world literally just committed suicide this week. So... Why are we thinking that this is just going to stay a run-in-the-mill dip? And one other thing I would add to that, the longer we stay down from those highs and the longer we delay that instant gratification that the dip buyers had gotten accustomed to, the more of a chance there is for sentiment to turn in a more permanent way. Uh, the dip buyers are getting killed every time they go rushing into one of these uh, earnings blow-ups, and there have been like a million, um, and they get that up 6% the next day and then back down to the lows and then lower two days later, mm-hmm. that weighs heavily on sentiment. And I think we're getting to the point now where you really don't even have any good reactions to good earnings. Like you get an hour of a green stock, and then within a day or two, almost every name I could think of off the top of my head, good, bad, or indifferent on the earnings side – is lower. That is a sentiment shift. Pick up on it. Pay attention to it. It's telling you that you don't have to listen to City or anybody else that wants to make a grand pronouncement like, all right, I'm back to all in. This is the wrong environment for that. Big conviction. Not today. Okay. Not today, all Satan. Right, we're we're, we're going to set up a nice conversation between you and Farmer Jim in the very near future, mm-hmm. and you can have this conversation because I think it's worthwhile that we have it. In the meantime, everybody hold their thoughts. No interruptions, please. Kayla Talshi has breaking news. Kayla? Well, Scott, just a few moments ago, Russian President Vladimir Putin ending a televised address that served as a sort of alternative programming to the events that are unfolding on the ground in Ukraine. In that address, President Putin said that his special military option in the country is going to plan. He said he is fighting against the threat of nuclear weapons even as the U.S. and other Western allies have refrained from ratcheting up their nuclear threat level to match that of Mr. Putin. Putin accuses Ukrainian forces of using civilians as human shields, even as one million Ukrainians have fled the country and 2,000 civilians have died in public places there. Uh, Putin uh, saying his special military operation going to plan is interesting in the context of a call that he had earlier today with France's President Emmanuel Macron, where they discussed the possibility of a ceasefire. And a senior French official tells me that Putin appeared very closed off and rejected the notion of any ceasefire without complete demilitarization of Ukraine, which is a non-starter uh, to the West. This is, of course, as talks are happening at the Belarusian border yet again. Ukraine's president has invited Putin to personally sit down and negotiate, as he has in weeks and months uh, in, in the past. Uh, but there is a view among the West that the violence, Scott, will worsen in the coming days, with Putin apparently communicating uh, that he believes that his negotiating hand will only strengthen as Russia seizes more of the country. Scott? Kayla, I appreciate that. Thank you very much. That's Kayla Tausche, the White House, the backdrop for us today. Kayla, thank you. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We'll come back. 
investment committee movers today to talk about because there are several. Josh Brown's making moves. He has bought more of two stocks that are in his portfolio. The reveals are coming up. Steve Weiss has sold two names that he talked about a ton on this program. We'll find out why next. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is our CNBC News update at this hour. You are lying to yourself. That's what Emmanuel Macron told Vladimir Putin in a phone call today. The call was initiated by the Russian leader. A French official says that nothing Putin said was reassuring, with the Russian president continuing to insist he needs to denazify Ukraine. Purdue Pharma and the Sackler family have reached a new deal to settle opioid lawsuits brought by dozens of states. The Sacklers will raise their contributions to the deal by a third to as much as $6 billion. The new agreement still does not include a specific apology from the Sacklers for their part in the opioid crisis. Athletes from Russia and Belarus will not be allowed to compete in the Beijing Winter Paralympics. That is a reversal of the decision just a day before to allow them to participate, but without national symbols, colors or flags. Organizers say that many other countries threatened to leave, a reaction that they did not expect. And in Philadelphia, a determined car thief suspect drove on a sidewalk to try to get around police cars that were surrounding him. He then tried to escape as sparks flew from underneath the car. The driver was eventually arrested. Scott, I'll send it back to you. Hell, Solomon, thank you very much. All right, let's talk about some of these moves. Steve Weiss, I'm coming to you first because, I mean, there's some things I, I see that you do in your portfolio. And I'm like, well, it's just Weiss being Weiss. I mean, you know, that's the way it is. <laughs> But then I look at Corvo and Skyworks, two stocks you have repeatedly said our viewers should buy. And you said 5G, 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 and 5G. I think that was like five times on 5G. Now you've sold them both. I might add, after both stocks have been in the toilet bowl, year to date, double digit down, 12 months, 20, 30% down. Is that what this is about? Just making the flush? Well, well, my first observation is that you have to follow my teachings a lot more closely, Scott, because I, you know, I don't think you're a great student. Otherwise, you'd know my discipline and strategy. Okay. Now, tell moving, me about it in this on, case. Okay, so I will. So, moving on from that, <laughs> uh, uh, the, the world's changed a little bit, Scott. Those, those are just the realities. The stocks haven't bounced. Uh, it's. Uh, I'm not going to wait forever, but that's okay because if I didn't think they'd go down further or if I didn't think that I had better exposure elsewhere, I would have kept them. But here's the reality. Both, in particular, Skyworks, are very leveraged to mobile phones. 
And well, obviously. If I'm a, right, exactly. So I'm looking at the consumer, and I see the consumer worrying about how they're going to heat their home, how they're going to pay for food, how they're going to get to, to work in their cars because of gas. I just don't think that the average consumer who lives paycheck to paycheck anyway is going to find the place in their budget for buying or upgrading their phones, even if it, when it's on a delayed basis. So that's why I did it, because I think demand is waning. Demand was already waning. The companies, I've been wrong in the companies in terms of the earnings. They've had spotty reports over the last few quarters. And look, I think they're both well-managed. I think they're both quality companies. I still believe in 5G, absolutely. But I think they frankly can get cheaper. So I've got exposure in a couple of others, which are much more uh, leveraged to the auto cycle and and to industrial automation, which is going to continue to go and drive spending CapEx. So I'd rather be in on, and I'd rather be in NXPI at this point than those two. So I just didn't need to have so much semi-exposure. Okay. I appreciate the detailed explanation. I know our viewers do as well. Update us if those stocks get low enough where you decide that you want to buy them back. Uh, Josh Brown. Scott, Scott, one more thing. I noticed you taking notes there, and I want to applaud that effort. Yeah. Um, I didn't write a single thing down as you were speaking. I was looking at my notes <laughs> to see where I wanted to go next, just so we're all clear. Just so we're clear. <laughs> Josh Brown, um, you bought more Dutch Bros, and I think we mentioned that either yesterday or the day before. Maybe that was your final trade. I can't remember, uh, but I think it might have been. Why did yeah. you buy more of that, and then we'll get to the next one? A great earnings report that nobody gives a damn about right now. But that's okay. I want to emphasize whatever I'm doing is is really small right now um, because I think there are some opportunistic things that you can do to manage a portfolio. But, again, back to the last segment, I don't think now's the time for grand pronouncements. Dutch Bros is really, really easy for me. It's a tiny market cap with a massive opportunity. They are going to explode across the United States over the next few years. We don't even have them on the East Coast. You have to be in, like, Arizona or Oregon to enjoy their delicious beverages. Um, they just upped their store forecast by another 20% to 761 this year. There are a lot of new stores uh, in the pipeline. It's very cost-effective to open them and huge revenue growth in the existing stores. So revenue grew 56% in this last quarter to $140 million, um, crushing the consensus expectation. And a 66.1% increase in revenue from their company-owned stores. So it's a small cap. It's an, it's an exciting name for me. The stock has been okay throughout the recent carnage, and I'm a relatively new shareholder. But when I get an opportunity to, to add a little bit, I try to do that. All right, um, speaking the of, other one is ChargePoint. Yeah, ChargePoint. Why did you buy and, more of that? So I'm crushed in this stock. I think my average cost, I'm down like 30-something percent real quick. Um, and again, it's nothing to do with the company. That's about the environment that we're in. This was a former SPAC. That's one strike. It's a growth company with no earnings yet. That's another strike. It's a TAM story, strike three, whatever. I don't care. Um, another very small market cap, another company with massive opportunity. Um, they crushed it. So they're doing a huge guide higher. Consensus estimate for this year was $415 million in revenue. They're saying that'll be more like 450 to 500. They beat on sales this quarter, 80.7 versus 75 expected. They would have done more, they said, but they can't get enough equipment fast enough. 
They have uh, 170,000 charging ports all over the United States, Europe. They're putting as many in places they can. This is a play on I don't care if it's Tesla or BMW or Porsche or whoever gets the most market share. No matter what, you got to charge your stuff. And that is the new world that we're going into. And ChargePoint is the largest publicly traded company that plays in this space as a pure play for fleets, for like when you check into a hotel, they'll likely have charge port equipment in the garage. It's just a great story. So I added to that, I do not look good in this name yet, but I'm very patient because it's an investment, not a trade. Okay. Appreciate that. All right, we're going to take a break. Uh, Jenny has a new buy, a new name that she's added. I'll reveal that after the break, along with a move that Pete is making as well. We're back right after this. There's the heat map. All right, let's talk about those moves I mentioned before the break. Jenny Harrington, to you, you bought 3M. A new position for you. Why? So this goes back to that valuation and the asynchronous corrections. By the way, I want to say one thing. The last time I added new positions to the dividend portfolio was last November. So you get these pockets of the mar- where the market just gives you great opportunities. And that's what I got last week with 3M. Last week, when the market really came down, 3M was suddenly trading at a 14 times multiple with a 4.2% dividend yield. It was, in my opinion, overly punished because people were worried about their increasing costs from their exposure to pro- pro- sorry, polypropylene and um, labor costs, all of that going up. They also have some liability exposure that people worry about. And all of that weighed on the shares just too much. So I was able to buy this at 14 times. They have paid a dividend for 100 years. They've raised it for 64 years straight. Um, and I think that as we get past 2022, earnings growth should return to that 6 to 7% range. Maybe- the spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Making it a very, very compelling um, 
investment. One other thing too, historically they've traded more in line with a market multiple, so I think there's a lot of multiple expansion here as things just normalize. Okay, Pete Nigerian, you bought calls in IBM, the June 140s. I did. You already own the stock, yeah. so why buy more mm -hmm. options? What's going to be the catalyst to get this stock to move even more for your op options to get in the money? Right. Well, I think the catalyst is going to be part of what City was sort of at least alluding to in that in that piece today about technology and those stocks probably have some upside. This is one of those names that actually trades for all the right reasons at a very low multiple. But I think that's something that could change over time and it actually they could finally get this thing turned around a little bit. As you know, Scott, I own I own the stock sell calls against it. I get a 5% dividend. I create a dividend yield from what I sell. But I like seeing this upside call buying because that's telling me somebody out there thinks that this stock has a little bit of room to the upside. Maybe it's all to do with Red Hat or other, other situations uh, that are going on within IBM. But in any case, I think this is a, a time to own this stock. And it's not going to hurt you. It's not one of these stocks that's as painful as some of the others. So for that reason, I, I liked what I saw with those options. I, I added the options to the, the stock position as well. So I'm riding pretty long right now in IBM. I know how you like to trade the options, Pete, and you're always watching the options. Yep. In fact, we have unusual activity yep. coming up after the break. The latest unusual activity trades from Pete Najarian, who's always watching the options. There's the market. Dow is still negative just by a couple points or so. Trying to go positive. See a headline here. Uh, crossing that the Ukraine and Russia agree to hold the next round of talks. That is at least according to one report. We'll do our best to confirm that as well. And maybe that's having something to do with the fact that the Dow is trying to tick positive has by four points or so back after this. All right, Pete, unusual activity. Tell us what you see today. All right, I'm going to start off with the uranium ETF, Scott. Now, we talk about energy all the time. We're usually focused more on oil and gas. But I will tell you, Cameco and the uranium side of things is also something that's becoming a little bit more commonplace for people to kick around some ideas about energy. So I'm looking at URA. Now, they bought the June 25 calls. They bought about almost 4,000 of those calls today, Scott. What I like about that is stock was just trading a little bit north of 24. This is a stock that back in November was over 30. January, it got down towards 20, and it's starting to make a little bit of a move back up to the upside. I think over time, and we've got all the way till June, that these calls really could work out. My second one for you is a name that we haven't talked about in a long time here, but Robinhood. And we're seeing a little bit of activity in there as well. Stock was trading a little over 11 and a half, well, under 11 and a half. And we had a buyer of the 12 calls. They bought 12,500 of the 12 strike calls that expire next Friday. So a very, very short term trade here. But, you know, you're getting a little over a week for this to move and it doesn't have to move all that much. They only paid about 30 or 40 cents for those options. I'm in both these trades right now. All right. That sounds good. And you know what I want to ask you about as well, Pete, is a downgrade to Intel to underweight. I think this is the second sell call in the mm -hmm. street. There may, there may be an, another one. I'm not, I'm not sure. Underweight at uh, Morgan Stanley. Mm -hmm. Target to 47 from 55. I, I bring it up now because you own the stock. And uh, it's funny that you talk about IBM earlier. That you think now's the time to own IBM. Is now the time to own Intel? Pete, part of this call is that they say well. it's going to take multiple years years for a turn to where Jim Cramer said this morning, I want yep. multiple quarters, not multiple years. Who has time for that? Yep. 
Yeah, I, I totally understand. And I'll tell you what, it, it has been a frustrating stock, and we all are talking about that because we know that they're building, obviously, right? They're building up in the Northeast and the Southwest, and that is in the future. That's not something that's going to come online tomorrow or next quarter or the quarter after that. So I, I still like the company, and here's why. I, I can own that stock, Scott. I can buy, I get the dividend yield that I already get. They do buybacks. I can sell calls against it and create something. It's been a really long wait. It's, I'm losing patience, but I am able to create a pretty nice yield by the end of the year. So that's why I continue to hold on to Intel. All right, good stuff. Thanks for the update there. Okay, growth yep. at any cost. Is that over? You're going to hear from well -known, a well-known money manager about that very question next. We're back. It's been the fastest growing buyout firm capitalizing on the tech boom. Our Leslie Picker speaking with the man leading that firm about the landscape now. And really, Leslie, asking the question, growth at any price, is it over? And it seems to suggest that your guest says yes. That's right, Scott. It's an interesting time, of course, to be a tech investor. Now managing more than $100 billion in assets, Toma Bravo is a giant in the tech buyout space. As rates rise and high-growth equities sell off, the game has changed for tech investing. According to Orlando Bravo, the firm's founder and managing partner, the mantra of this kind of growth at all cost is over. People are now finally looking at the business economics. And think about it. It's, it's so basic. How could you create a company and a large company over time where the societal resources that you use for production way exceed the output? It just it, it cannot last. And that's a bit of a structural problem. The software industry has now and groups like us um, look to fix that. Bravo said this renewed focus on profitability has been phenomenal for deal-making. He's already been quite active, landing five of the top 10 software buyouts in 2021 worth a combined $31 billion. He said the sell-off makes exits for portfolio companies more challenging, especially through IPOs, which he called, quote, certainly a problem. Bravo said the firm's ethos has been to buy multiples of revenue but sell on multiples of EBITDA, and he expects an acute focus on the profits in this space to continue. To watch our full interview and subscribe to our newsletter, go to DeliveringAlpha.com or click on the QR code that you see right there on your screen. Scott. Thinking like buyout firms must love nothing more than lower valuations. I mean, it's just cheaper prices. That's right. Well, but then the flip side of their business is exits and the ability to sell some of those portfolio companies that they have accumulated over the years and distribute that uh, capital and those profits back to their investors. So that part of the buyout business is a lot more challenging these days, especially amid the volatility. If they're at lower valuations and things are more stabilized, deal making can occur. But right now, things are really, really challenging yeah. for the private equity firms Buy on the low. exit side. Right, right, right. Buy low, sell high, uh, eventually. You just may have to be patient. Leslie, Eventually. thank you. All right. That's Leslie Picker. Final trades are next. <laughs> Time for finals. Josh Brown, you start us off today. I was just going to say, yo, shout out to Liz. But if SoFi gets under 10, and I think it will, it's too much punishment for that name. I think you buy it there. Oh, okay. Interesting. We'll watch that for sure. Jenny. My other new buy from last week was Foot Locker. After a disappointing guidance, stock traded down 30%. Now it's trading at six and a half times earnings, 5.2% yield, $3 billion market cap with a billion two share buyback authorized. 
Okay, thank you. Steve Weiss? I'm looking at FedEx. The stock got crushed, went down to about 206. I thought I missed when I sold 235 on its way to 255. I'm thinking of getting back in right here at about 10, 11 times earnings. All right, Pete, you get the last word today. All right, on Friday, they bought 10,000 Cleveland Cliff calls, the May 23 calls. Those doubled by Monday. Today, they're buying the May 29 calls, 10,000 of them, same price. I think this thing's going to move a lot, far, a lot further to the upside, Scott. I own them. All right. Uh, so does Jim Leventhal. That's an interesting one. I'm sure he's watching and uh, has hey, his own. Hey, Weiss, too. Yeah, Weiss, Weiss too. too. Where are those notes? Read your notes. Yeah, it's okay. Jeez. All right. I get you. All right, guys, I appreciate you watching. Uh, we'll keep our eye on the markets uh, for certain. There's your look right now. Dow's good for 55. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation.